Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you've gotten through First and Second Kings, you know that the kingdom is divided. There's a northern kingdom. Ten tribes went north after Solomon, and two tribes stayed Judah, Benjamin, and the tribe of Judah. Well, Chronicles picks up and repeats some of that. The word chronicle means record or word of days or journal. In the Hebrew Bible, the books of First and Second Chronicles are actually one book, and they're called the Affairs of the Days. According to Jewish tradition, Ezra is the author, and he evidently had access to journals and diaries and official records that are now not known. First and Second Chronicles were one book and generally covered the same period as Samuel and Kings. It is historical, and you will see some repeat, but it's from a spiritual point of view. You're going to see some repetition. Some things are added and omitted out of Kings, but you're going to see more of a reference to the temple and to the priests and to the hierarchy of the Levites in the temple. It gives a history of Judah. Now, Judah's the southern kingdom, not much mention of the northern kingdom. So you're not going to see much there, but the southern kingdom. They are a chronicle which arranges the order of events from Adam to Nehemiah. And that's why in the first nine chapters, you're going to skip a lot because it's a lot of genealogies. I've memorized the word begat. But really and truly, it goes from Adam until Nehemiah, and they're trying to preserve the racial purity, the priesthood, and and that's the the goal of the genealogies. Uh, Again, the books deal primarily with the southern kingdom because of Judah and Jerusalem, because that's where the the temple was built and, and the... The emphasis is there. Now, you can break 1 Chronicles down into three parts. The first nine chapters, you will want to memorize. It's all genealogies. And then in chapter 10, you find the end of Saul's reign. And they begin, that's part two. And then part three is the reign of David from chapter 11 to 21. So 1 Chronicles, the genealogies, the end of Saul's reign, and the reign of David. Now 2 Chronicles, believe it or not, I know you're going to find this fascinating. It's a continuation of 1 Chronicles. (laughs) Just in case. Some of you were not math majors and didn't get that. It records David's reign and his desire to build the temple in 1 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles focuses on Solomon building the temple and the services that are instituted in it and then later the apostasy of the Jewish people. So the first nine chapters record the reign of Solomon and then the rest of the chapters, chapters 10 through the end of the book, talk about the division of the kingdom or the, excuse me, the account of the events in the southern kingdom. Now, it does mention five good kings. Asa, chapters 14 to 16. Jehoshaphat, chapters 17 to 20. Joash, chapters 23 to 24. Hezekiah, 
chapter 29 to 32, and Josiah, chapter 34 and 35. So basically, it's two parts. The reign of Solomon, chapters 1 through 9, and then part 2 is the history of Judah all the way to the exile of Babylonia. Now, the northern kingdom fell to Assyria in 722 B.C. Some of y'all were here then. You remember that. (laughs) The southern kingdom didn't fall until 586 B.C. Now remember, you're coming this direction in B.C. And so it fell to the Babylonians. And 2 Chronicles takes you to the time when the Babylonians came and took over and captured them. Now, it does end, it's interesting that it does end, Second Chronicles, because after the Babylonians captured Judah, years later the Persians took over, and Cyrus, the king of Persia, gives permission for them to go back and rebuild the temple. And you'll see that, a little bit of it in Second Chronicles. I want to begin reading. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Keep your Bibles open, though. I'll, I will refer to a few verses there. I don't want to read, I, I don't have time to read the entire uh, 36 verses, but I'll go through verses through 10 for right now. In fact, I want you to notice the last phrase of chapter, of verse 27 of chapter 28. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. They've turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering, as you see with your eyes." For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we ask you today to turn people's hearts back to you. For those who've never been saved, we pray they'd come to know you as Lord and Savior. And for those who have drifted, would you please bring them back on track? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A man was a do-it-yourselfer. He wanted to build a birdhouse, so he ordered a kit from a do-it-yourself mail-order business 
He wrote this letter. He said, I built a birdhouse according to your plans. And not only is it much too big, but it keeps blowing out of the tree, signed unhappy. Well, the mail order house wrote him a letter back and said, dear unhappy, we're sorry about the mix up. We accidentally sent you a sailboat blueprint. But if you think you're unhappy, you should read the letter from the guy who's trying to sell a leaky birdhouse. <laughs> there are a lot of people who are trying to sail through life with a leaky birdhouse. I do not believe it's possible for a born-again believer to lose the salvation that God gave them through grace and mercy. I don't believe that's possible. But I do believe that there, it is possible for Christians to lose the joy of their salvation. They can go through the motions. They don't have any vitality. They don't have any freshness of spirit. There's no joy in their life. The joy's gone. Somebody said it this way, that the joy is the flag that is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is enthroned. When Jesus is there, when he is Lord of your life and he is on the throne, the joy comes. Some people just give a place to Jesus in their life. Some people give, a, some people give them a, a prominence in their life. But until Jesus is preeminent in your life, the most important thing in your life, a person in your life, there's not going to be in, any joy. And so there's a, a time when people sort of drift away, not from their salvation, but they just, they drift away from the joy of the Lord. When Hezekiah became the king, things were in horrible shape. His dad, Ahaz, was one of the most wicked kings that they'd had. Ahaz got weary of, of following Jehovah God and he believed that the gods of Damascus, little g gods, the pagan gods of Damascus had actually helped the Syrians. And so Ahaz decided he was going to give up on Jehovah God and he closed the temple and he dismissed all the priests and set up some pagan altars all over Jerusalem in the high places. You can find this in chapter 28. And here's what he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. And so, verse 23 of chapter 28 of 2 Chronicles said, Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. And it's almost with a sense of relief that you read that last little phrase of chapter 28 where it says, then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Hezekiah was a godly man, the polar opposite of his dad. How did that happen? Well, in a moment, I'll give you some ideas of how it happened. But I want you to notice the first thing he did. 25 years old as the king, and the first thing he does is spark a revival, a renewal in that nation. 
And so I want us to look at that, how he cleanses the temple. And you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God does not live in a building, in a temple like he indwelt with the Holy of Holies at times when he would meet the people. But you can see the parallel between how Hezekiah cleansed the temple and how somebody can have renewal and revival in their own life. So let's look at it for a moment. It begins with conviction and a consciousness or a realization, if you want to call it that. Hezekiah saw something. He saw their wickedness in verses 5 and 6. It says that our fathers trespassed. They've forsaken him, turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord. They've turned their backs on him. They've shut up the doors of the vestibule. They put out the lamps. They don't burn incense. They don't offer burnt offerings. Notice their wickedness. He said they have forsaken him. The, the Hebrew word means to leave behind. They have actually walking in the opposite direction now. Instead of walking toward God, they go in the opposite direction. He describes their worship. They've turned their faces away. That word means to go around. Instead of going to the temple, spiritually speaking, now they're going around it. They're not going to it. They really don't want to know what God has to say. They turn their backs on him. Have you ever been talking, have you ever had anybody, you've been talking to someone and you can tell when they quit listening? They either look at the television if you're in a restaurant or they start looking at their watch or they start, you know, kind of like when I'm preaching, I can tell when you quit listening. (laughs) Now, you haven't turned your back on me yet, but (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised at times. The fact is, that's the picture. Instead of listening to God, they've they've quit listening. They've turned their back on him. I don't don't care what you have to say, God. I don't want to know it anymore. Verse 7 says, they shut up the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's symbolic that they quit listening to the word of God. I don't care what, what God has to say. I don't want to listen to it anymore. And they don't burn incense on the altar anymore, which is symbolic of prayers. They've quit praying. It says they have quit sacrificing in the holy place of God. They, they had begun to drift. You know, the dangerous thing about drifting, you never drift where you want to go. You ever been drifting? You ever been stranded out in a boat that was broken down? I have. It never drifts where I want it to go. You ever let go of your steering wheel on your car? It'll drift. You better not let it drift too far. You see... When you begin to drift, you wind up going places you never meant to go. When a crisis comes in our life, humanly speaking, we normally focus on the crisis. If you're a king facing a military threat, you're going to try to build up your military. If you are faced with a health crisis, first thing you do is go get medical attention. If you've lost your job, your first priority is finding another job. If your marriage is in trouble, you focus on your marriage. If your teenager's rebellious, you focus on dealing with your teenager. Hezekiah saw the problem, 
But he's a great example of the first thing to do, and that is to make sure your heart is right with God first, and then focus on the issue. You see, the most pressing need was for them to sanctify themselves, to make their hearts right with God, and then focus on the problem. Now, I want to tell you something. I, I don't believe God sends all the evil stuff on us. I don't. I believe God is a giver of good things. But I believe God allows us sometimes to get in a mess so that we'll finally turn our eyes toward him. I, I've, I've called it this. The Lord's fed me enough rope that I've tied myself up many times. And he said, now that you're listening, David, I can talk to you. Well, Hezekiah focused on the Lord and, and, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in us and he cares very much about what's going on in our own life. You carry the Lord with you everywhere you go. The Holy Spirit, he lives in us. He is God. He lives in us. He indwells us. And he cares about what we do. And so the first thing you've got to realize is, am I drifting? Am I turned my back? Am, uh, what is the realization in your own life? It begins with conviction. God, I am not where I need to be. I'm conscious of the fact that I have, I've turned my back on you. I've quit listening to you. It breaks my heart to see people do that. And then we've all done it. I'm not, I know I've done it. But I see people that just seem to turn their back on the Lord and now they're headed the other direction. There can't be any joy. And until you come to that place where you realize where you are, nothing's going to happen. And so Hezekiah first looks around his country and says, we're in a mess. For the last 16 years, we've had our eyes off of God. Begins with conviction and consciousness. It's one thing to see the problem and be convicted about it, but then what do you do? Well, next comes confession and cleansing, or you begin to examine your own life. Now, when Hezekiah came to the problem of the nation of Judah, he found it was in need of a good old spiritual and moral cleansing or scrubbing. We need that, don't we, spiritually speaking. I know that our sins have been washed away and that Jesus has covered us and we stand in the righteousness of Christ. But just like when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples or when he gave, or when, when John wrote 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins, sometimes our spiritual ears get dirty. We need them washed out so we can hear the Lord again. Sometimes our spiritual hands are dirty and we need them washed or our spiritual feet need to be soaked or our spiritual eyes need to be cleaned out so we can see God and maybe our mouth needs to be washed out spiritually too. You see, there comes a time when you, you have to say, where am I in my own walk with the Lord? And then when that comes, when, how does that confession and cleansing happen? What happened here? Well, the first thing is a closing of the past. Hezekiah was the son of one of Judah's most wicked pagan kings. And yet Hezekiah turned out to be one of Judah's most godly kings. Who wasn't perfect. What in the world happened here? Well, how could this happen? I believe there's a couple of reasons. First of all, you are not a prisoner of your past. You're not. 
The Lord changes that. And just because one generation is evil does not mean that the next generation is going to be evil. And the flip side of that is when one generation is godly doesn't automatically mean the next generation is going to be godly because everyone has a choice to make. Quit blaming other people for your choice. Well, my dad was this way, my mama was this way, and now I'm this way. No, 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 no. You make your own choices. Now, they may have influenced you, and I'm sure that some of you probably, I'm not making excuses. I'm just tired of hearing people say, it's somebody else's fault for the mess I'm in. And most of the time, it's because of our own choices. That sounded really blunt, didn't it? It was blunt. But I'm going to tell you another reason I believe Hezekiah was a godly king, because of his grandparents. You see, his great-grandfather, who wasn't perfect, but he knew God, and I believe there's some grandparents, you'll read it when you read through First, Second Chronicles, I, I believe there's some grandparents there that maybe had some influence on Hezekiah. And that ought to be an encouragement to you, grandparents, that are influencing your grandchildren. Don't ever think that you don't have influence on them, but the fact is, you find Hezekiah closing the past, and he did not just decide, well, you know, all of Ahaz, all my dad did, I think I'll just partially get rid of it. No, he got rid of all of it. If you're going to close the past in your life, stop it. Stop doing what you're doing. If it's away from God, stop it. Don't tie it on your belt and drag it behind you saying, I may want to get back to it later. No, repentance means I'm done. This is taking me away from God. It's taking my focus away from God. I'm done. I wish I could tell you you could undo the past. Can't undo it. But you can close it. You can drive a stake down and say, from this point forward, I'm done with this. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Until you do that, you'll never have renewal in your heart. You can't partially hang on to it. You got to close it. Well, he tore down the high places, the altars. Renewal is much more than just an emotional experience. It's a transforming experience. Real renewal and revival begins when you say, I'm done with this. The second thing is you then cleanse the present. Right now, we're in a continual need of renewal because we get spattered by the world and the flesh and Satan and all the spiritual weariness seems to choke us. Folks, have you been having a hard time lately? I mean, let's just face it. We're all pretty, pardon the pun, we're all pretty sick of this, aren't we? (laughs) But the fact is, if we don't keep our focus on the Lord, then all this other stuff begins to overwhelm us. And, and if there's sin in your life, 1 John 1, 9 says to confess it, admit it. Now, can you imagine when they opened up the temple building after 16 years, how dirty it was? 
So let's focus on that for just a second. You know, there's different kinds of dirt. In West Texas, there's flying dirt. (laughs) And there's stable dirt. (laughs) And it's all going to be changing most of the time. And a lot of it flew yesterday, didn't they? I saw two or three farms come by my street. (laughs) But think about the dirt when they opened it up. It says that they opened up the doors and repaired them. I, I see careless dirt or neglect. You know, when you neglect something, it gets dirty. Isn't that amazing how you can clean a house or you can clean a vehicle and just let it sit for a while? And you come back in and go, good grief, there's nobody been in here. But look at this place. It's the dirt of neglect. Matthew Henry, a commentator, said the the common dirt it had contracted while it was shut up, dust and cobwebs and the rust of the vessels. So easy to neglect our spiritual walk. We'll pass through the most gigantic dust storm in history when all church members dust off their Bibles at the same time and start to read them. Our prayer closets have cobwebs in them. Our relationship with our fellow Christians are rusty and unsightly. Many people neglect to worship the Lord. It's so easy. There's so much to do. I've got so many things I need to accomplish, so I just don't want to go. I don't want to worship. I don't want to focus. And before before you know it, you got a lot of dirt that builds up in your life just from neglecting your temple. There's also the carnal dirt or the external dirt, the stuff that we bring in. Can you imagine all the stuff that had been tracked in to the temple over the years, these pagan altars and all the other defilements that had gone on? Matthew Henry said, though it was kept ever so neat, it was a greater pollution to the house of God than if it had been made the common sewer of the city. We fill our lives full of dirt. What do you watch? What do you read? What do you listen to? Where do you go? Who do you get advice from? We bring all kinds of dirt into our life. Instead of looking at the Word of God, we say, well, you know, I, I, I need to decide how I'm going to talk by listening to the world, or I'm going to decide how I want to dress by watching the world, or I'm going to decide about the music or the activities or where I spend my life. I'm just going to find what's cool, and I'm just going to do that. And so we bring it in. When God says, listen, I want you to have an abundant life and I want you to have a happy life, but there are limitations. There are parameters. Stay within the parameters. No, God, I don't like that. The world says I can get outside the parameters here, so I'm going to step out here. And that's why we Christians today, it's, it's unbelievable to me how many Christians just bring all this dirt into their life because it feels okay. And there's one other kind of dirt. It's concealed dirt. It's hidden dirt. Verse 16 says they went down into the inner part of the temple where only the priests can go. 
I mean, they could have left that there. Let me ask you something. When you are cleaning your house for company or a party at your house, do you ever hide any of it? Of course you do. You're not expecting them to look in the closet. Just look in the bedroom. You're looking at, see, it's clean. Don't look in the closet. I've stuffed everything in there. Don't look under the bed. Or you've been showing somebody your house for the first time and, and you want to show it and you say, well, if I'd really known I was going to bring you into this room, I'd have spent a little more time in here cleaning this up. We hide dirt. They could have easily hidden that. The dirt that no one sees. We appear to be good. In fact, Jesus even addressed religious people, the Pharisees and the scribes, in fact, if you really want to see a place, if you want a chapter in the Bible where you know Jesus is really ticked off as a human, it's Matthew 25. Listen to what he says. See, see if this doesn't sound like, this doesn't sound like a uh, girly man, does it? <laughs> Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside... You're full of extortion and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of, may be, of them may be clean also. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites for you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And it's Matthew 23, not 25. It's Matthew 23, 25. Has, has it appealed to you yet that this really describes us? Amen. Oh, and by the way, have you noticed? Now, you won't say this out loud, but in your mind, your dirt is cleaner than somebody else's dirt. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I may have dirt in my life, but it ain't nothing like a so-and-so over here. <laughs> well... The priest brought out all that dirt and they took it down to the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley ran north from north of Jerusalem all the way down to the Dead Sea. The Kidron Brook Valley was dry most of the time, but during the rainy season, it would be a torrent river and they would throw stuff. It would take it all the way down to the Dead Sea. You know, just getting back to church would not be enough. Hezekiah knew that. He, he said, just opening the temple is not going to be enough. And he got all of the instrumentalists ready to play music. He said, just having good music is not going to be enough. There's got to be a clear message of right and wrong, of repentance and revival. And as soon as the temple was cleansed, they gathered in worship and they offered three different kinds of sacrifices. The sin offering, which was a pictured substitution, the sin offering was given before Jesus died on the cross to show that the, the, the blood of innocent animals would cover the sin and it talked about forgiveness. The burnt offering pictured consecration or commitment and it represented surrender and holiness. Paul reiterated that in Romans 12. When he said, I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It was offered up totally to the Lord. The, the, the worshiper did not eat any of that. And then the, the third offering was the thank offering. And it pictured devotion. And they were voluntary offerings expressing love and gratitude for what God had done. And the first thing he did after he got it cleansed, it's time to, to worship and to offer. Hebrews 13 tells us that let us continually, continually, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. You see, there's a confession of their sin and there's a, a commitment and a renewal of their, of their life here. It was cleansing, confession, it's one thing to be convicted of your sin to feel like, you know I, know, I know I need to do better. And to be conscious of your sin. It's another thing to confess it and to cleanse it. But what, notice what culminates from that. What comes from that is commitment and celebration. There's a restoration of your walk with the Lord. The Lord wants us to come to him. You know, these people didn't just mumble through a worship service. They weren't standing up there mumbling through a religious service, looking at their watches and wondering, am I going to get home in time to watch the football game? Or am I going to get to the restaurant before the line's too long? Look at verse 30. They sang praises with gladness. Do you sing that way? I mean, when you realize what God has done for you and that what Jesus has done for you, you sing with gladness. The song of the redeemed is a song of joy and a song of gladness. It's not mumbling. But not only were they joyous, they were also reverent. It says they bowed down and worshiped in verse 30. There was a sense of awe. We don't bow down and, and worship that way. But do you come in with a sense of awe? Or do you come in with an attitude, God, you're just really fortunate I'm here today. Let me tell you something. We're the fortunate ones that he's here today. We are. We ought to be glad to come in and say, Lord, for a few moments, we're going to honor you. Hezekiah invited the consecrated people in verse 31. He said, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. When we gather here, we're not running through an order of spiritual entertainment. We're here to honor him to focus on him for just a few moments. Think about what he's done for you and how he saved you. Sometimes you hear people mumbling when they leave church, I didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is, did the Lord get anything out of you? That's the point. It's not what you got out of it. 
Lord, thank you that you're here and I can come. I offer you a joyous thank offering. Verse 28, so all the assembly worshiped, the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshiped. Verse 30, the second part. So they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and they worshiped. And verse 34, but the priests were too few so that they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended and until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Now, what does that mean? There weren't enough priests to skin all the burnt offerings. I'll give you a 2020 translation. The offering was so big, there weren't enough deacons to carry it all. Seriously, the offerings to the Lord. What does that tell you? It tells you that when there's renewal in your heart, you can't help but thank God. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I ask you today, how clean is your temple? (laughs) Is there any hidden dirt? Any external dirt? Breaks my heart to know people who seem to be walking away, going around, don't want to hear. And make no mistake about it, friends, it can happen to any of us. If you don't keep your temple clean, That's why 1 John says, confess your sin, walk in. You know what? I I married Laura 42 years ago. I tell her I love her every day. I work on the relationship every day. Some days I do better than others. But if I don't keep working on that relationship, it grows stale. People don't fall out of love. That's, that's dumb. You just quit investing in the person you made a commitment to. That's what you quit doing. Well, You don't fall out of love with Jesus. You just quit cleansing. Yeah, well, you just quit dusting, I guess is the right word. So today, if you don't know Jesus, he stands ready to forgive you and to save you and to give you new life. For those of us who do know Jesus and we're worn down, we're tired, frustrated, let me tell you something. COVID doesn't have anything to do with your spiritual life. It frustrates the dickens out of us, but it doesn't have anything to do with your walk with Jesus. And so maybe there's something in your heart today that you need to confess to him. Would you do that now? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for those who don't know Christ, I pray even now that you would show them how much you love them, how you will forgive them, but they must turn from that sin, seeking forgiveness from you, believing that Jesus died on the cross for their sin, believing that he rose again, and placing their faith and trust in the Savior, the only Savior of the world, 
Jesus Christ. I pray for believers, Lord. Don't let us... Don't let our temples get so dirty that we start neglecting and start walking away and not caring. I pray that you'd wake people up today that that walk with you is just as vital today as it ever was. Forgive us, Lord, for the, the dirt that we bring into our own lives. We just pray you'll search our hearts and know us and reveal to us the areas that we need to confess to you right now. God, thank you for the folks that you keep bringing to this hospital called Southcrest. They want to be part of what you're doing. And I pray that you'd help people to, to, to say, you know, I want to be part of something that God's doing. And I pray for those that need to be baptized as a testimony of what you've done in their life. If you're watching online, would you simply hit that connect button and let the people connect with you and, and talk with you and pray with you? Please don't disconnect without knowing Christ. Or maybe having somebody to pray with you. If you're in this room, that little card, you can put an indication there of if you want to join, if you're making a commitment to Jesus, if you want to be baptized, maybe there's something else or you just got prayer requests, put it there, drop it in the box as you leave. Or some of us will be here at the front with our mask on and we'd be glad to pray with you and to talk with you about any spiritual commitment that you need to make. So Lord, we ask that you do a little house cleaning today in our own life. We draw to you, we ask that you would renew and restore the joy of our salvation, knowing that we're clean before you and that you're, we're your children walking in fellowship with you today. We thank you for the commitments that have been made and may you continue to speak to people's hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.